Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. It's such a sense of peace to be myself and to be working on becoming myself that it's it's so worth it. What three wrestling matches would you watch if you were stranded on a desert island? This is what I'm asking wrestling's best. In the ring, around the ring, behind the scenes, or behind a microphone. I'm Tom Campbell. Thank you for joining me on Cultaholic Island for another episode of Desert Island Graps. On loan from the Philadelphia Museum of the Finest Arts. Currently appraised at one million seven hundred and seventy-six thousand and one cents. Still life with apricots and pears. At Born to Fight Three, I conducted a symphony in the Battle Born Real. I was down to my final note, and then that bumbling idiot Billy Avery ruined everything. To infinity and beyond, I'm going to introduce you to the hottest thing in the art world today, the Venus de Milo. Still life with apricots and pears. How are you doing? Oh my god, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. Couldn't not do this series without the the greatest name in professional wrestling. Yeah, yeah, genuinely, I'm I'm incredibly excited to get into that part of things. But obviously, we've been in a weird time for for not just professional wrestling, but the planet. We're living in this weird hellscape version of 2020. How have yes. you found your time out of wrestling? Um, it's not the easiest. Um, you know, I was kind of I had a lot of high hopes for 2020. Um. You know, it was my first kind of really big WrestleMania weekend was just like on the verge. Um, I had four really exciting bookings that I was like so psyched on. And then those all went away and it all went away really quickly. So it was difficult. But, um, you know, I'm hanging in there, you know, back to training again and, you know, getting, you know, some matches here or there. So it's, um, you know, I'm feeling really positive. Hopefully 2021 is going to, I can pick right up where I left off and, and keep going with it. Did you learn anything about yourself in lockdown or in isolation that you didn't know before? Um, I learned what it like, how much of an indoor kid I am. You know, I didn't uh, totally mind being stuck at home. Um, you know, I missed wrestling and I missed travel and I missed that part, but I was perfectly content kind of like sitting at home with my dog and watching movies and stuff <laughs> what what sort of give me uh, your favorite movie that you you and the dog have watched during lockdown um 
I guess more as TV shows, actually. But I finally got to, to watch all of Cowboy Bebop again, um, which was kind of the only anime I've ever really watched. And, uh, you know, I watched it as a kid when it was, like, on Adult Swim. So I finally got to catch up and watch it straight through in, in, in like, two days. But um, it's just as good. It holds up. <laughs> There's something about binge-watching, like, especially during lockdown. Like, I find that when I binge-watch something during lockdown... You, there is this this weird sort of emptiness that resides within you for about an hour afterwards. Like, what did I do with my life before this? <laughs> yeah, and I'm not much of, like, a binge watcher. Like, I need, like, I can do, like, two episodes, and then I just need a break. Or, like, I remember I was watching, like, Game of Thrones a couple of years ago and wanted to watch it all straight through. And I could do, like, one episode, and I needed, like, an episode of The Office in between. It's just, like, a bit of a palate cleanser. <laughs> We are here to talk about wrestling, and we're going to send you onto a desert island. Okay. And while you're there, through the power of some weird technology that we haven't quite figured out yet, um, we're going to burn for you a DVD that you can watch three wrestling matches on. Okay. Uh, that, and you are allowed to choose any three matches from any, any time point that you can watch whilst you are there. What would you like your first match to be? Okay, so I thought a lot about this, and I had, like, a big, long list, as I sent you. Um, and then I started thinking about, like, what are the important elements of wrestling to me? Um, so I broke it down into three categories. Sorry I went into too much detail on this. But um, the first piece that's really important to me is creating a sense of emotion. Um, so I think all these matches I picked really had a strong sense of emotion. Um but there was one that for me really stands out and, and like just looking back, like I was looking at that list and I could still feel that moment of the match. Like even though I haven't watched it in quite some time, I still remember that feeling. Um, and that would be Sasha Banks and Bailey from TakeOver Brooklyn, I believe. It was the first time for the NXT uh, women's title. So that would be my number one match. This is the biggest match of my life. I've been in this position before and I've had this title match and every time I've let it slip right through my fingers. But not this time, that's right. You're facing the NXT Women's Champion. I'm gonna teach every single one of these little girls that fairy tales don't have a happy ending. I'm gonna finally prove to the world, prove to my mom who keeps coming to these championship matches and watching me lose. And I'm gonna prove to Sasha Banks. Here comes Bailey. She's finally had enough. That she was wrong about me, and I will defeat her. Can you remember where you were when you first watched it? I was in my apartment. I was alone, um, and I think that was kind of right as NXT was really picking up, um, or as kind of the height of all of it. And I just remember, you know, I'm not. I'm not much of a crier, especially like watching like TV or movies or anything. Um, but and definitely not wrestling for the most part. But this match, I felt so I was just so overwhelmed with like the emotions after it, you know, when when Bailey won and finally like achieved her dream. Um, I just remember just like sobbing because it was just such this emotional release. And you can really feel that genuine emotion from her, from the performers. Um you know, I think that came across more so than any other match I've ever seen. And I've been watching wrestling my whole life. Um, and that one just felt so real. And I think that's especially telling because that era of, like, NXT, um, you know, whenever anyone wins, like, a WWE title, um, it's their childhood dream, right? Like, everyone is achieving their dream. It's this thing they've been looking looking at their entire lives. Um, so we see that all the time. But for for some reason... 
or not for some reasons because she's so good, but when Bailey won it, it felt like I don't know. It was it was that magnified by by so much, and and I just remember that feeling, and I still like kind of hold on to it. And as a performer now, that's kind of something I keep going back to is like wanting to have that feeling or some kind of emotion or that strong of a reaction from an audience um, that she can. So I look up to, to Bailey a lot for that reason. What is it you think about that match? Because lots of people talk about it. We've just had a time of recording. We've just had Hell in a Cell 2020 where mm-hmm. they fought again inside a Hell in a Cell, which is <laughs> wild to think about when you, when you put yourself back at TakeOver Brooklyn to go, oh, by the way, in a few years' time, they're doing this in Hell in a Cell. That's ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but back then, there was something about this match. It was, there was a starter cap that, that set off something bigger. What do you think it is about these two in particular that, that that brought that magic out it was i think just that era of nxt and just wrestling in general that's a huge part of it um you know nxt was still this really fresh new thing which it still kind of is but at that point it was just you know the whole thing was just like lightning in a bottle um and i think a lot of people are going to look back on that era of nxt the same way we talk about like the nwo or ecw or the attitude era like it was just a really special period in wrestling um so i think you know we're going to look back at that and it was just kind of this rise of of women's wrestling um where you know they're given much more time there's um you know it's this athletic contest on a regular basis um and I think just all of those things made it so special. I think the audience was just so invested into it and so vocal, which, you know, you, lot of, you watch a lot of like WWE nowadays and it's, it doesn't feel the same um, energy in the room as there was 10 years ago, 15 years ago, you know, 20 years ago during the Attitude Era. Um, it's not the same today, but in NXT at that time, it did. Like, the, you know, everyone was on their feet. Um, so... It was almost as if they could do no wrong out there, I feel like, but then they put on this incredible match um, and we're doing things um, like I remember there's like a top rope Poison Rana, um, just doing these really, really incredible moves um, and have this really technically proficient performance. And then it was also just tied with all this emotion and tied with everything else that was going on in wrestling at the time. So um, I think it was just a really, really special moment that could have only really happened once. Um and not that their matches since then haven't been good. Um, I didn't get happen to see last night's match, but um, you know they're still incredible poor performers, and, and um, you know I study their matches a lot. But that was just a really really special special moment. I would highly encourage you to check it out because in in that match they do a they do a callback to take over Brooklyn. <gasps> Okay. <laughs> and it's one of those, if you blink and you miss it, but if you know, you know, and it's like oh. a, it's like an Easter egg in the match. And you go, I know what that is. That's nice. Oh. All right. I'll watch it this <laughs> afternoon. <laughs> when did you become a wrestling fan? Um, I've been a fan like as long as I can remember. Um, I grew up in, you know, outside Philadelphia, which was home to ECW. So, um, you know, I remember being a kid and flipping through, TV, you know, to the TV stations. And there was this one random channel. There's like these, these weird channels between like channel 12 and like channel 20, which were just like cable access or like all these kind of random channels um, that I never really looked at. And by chance I scrolled past ECW and it just felt like, 
just something totally different. You know, I was so young, so it just felt like the edgiest thing I'd ever seen. And like I had seen wrestling before, but it didn't really capture me like ECW did. And, you know, I was lucky enough to go see them once. Uh, you know, my dad took me and I was like way too young to be at that kind of wrestling show. But um, it was just it just was so captivating and just so there's like this little meme of like Elmo with like an explosion behind him. And <laughs> it's just like when you're 12 years old and discover ECW and like, <laughs> that's it. Like <laughs> that was what it was like for me. What yeah. was it like going to that first ECW show as somebody yeah. so young? It was bananas. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was cool. I mean, I remember, I remember it so vividly too. Like I'd been to a lot of wrestling shows. Um, but, like, I remember the card always perfectly. Like, I remember Lance Storm and the great Sasuke wrestled. And, like, you know, I don't really know the difference. At that time, you know, I didn't know the difference between, like, proficient technical wrestling and, like, you know, just brawling or hardcore. Like, I didn't know these styles. But I could see watching, like, the great Sasuke that, like, oh, this is an incredible performer. Like, he did that, you know, cartwheel, moonsault out of the ring and just seeing um, – you know, obviously Lance Storm is an incredible wrestler. So just seeing those two was like really, really cool. Um, and then like the Dudleys wrestled New Jack and Cronus. It was when they were the gangstinators. <laughs> um, is, you know, after like I think pa Perry Saturn was out and, um, you know, the gangsters is broken up. So they formed this like hodgepodge tag team and um, like they were brawling in the crowd and like they had like a Barbie Corvette, I think was a weapon. And that was used in the crowd. And I just remember as the show was clearing out, I'm just looking down at this, like, child's toy covered in blood. And, like, I'm, like, wondering, is that real blood? How do they do this? Like, what am I looking at? Um, but, yeah. <laughs> There's something about going to a wrestling show when you're younger. And it's... And then from there, when you learn a bit more about it, like about how it all gets put together and they, it's, it's a bit like learning magic in the sense that once you realize like that there's, there's some sleight of hand behind the movements, you're either really disappointed or even more so captivated. Like, I want to know how to do that. Like, yeah, and I love that you said magic because I think that's like, I think that's a really important thing is like wrestling is so much like magic. It's, you know, if you look at it as if it's like, this athletic contest, which it is, um, or if it's like acting or predetermined or all those other things, like fine, but like it is magic because it is sleight of hand. And, you know, even so many people think they totally understand it, but I can tell you like as someone who, you know, I'm a wrestler. So like I, I can say that most people maybe have like 25% of what is actually happening in the ring. And, um, Sometimes it really does just feel like magic, like when two performers click or when a match just comes together. Um, it is so much like magic. You, uh, whilst you were you were very much intrigued by the wrestling world, um, it wasn't on the plan on the in the plans to be a wrestler. You were quite involved with the art scene as you got a bit older, weren't you? In, in oh, Philadelphia. Yeah. Yes, you did your research. Um, <laughs> yeah, so you know, I was a lifelong fan. Um, I was never much of an athlete, so. Um, you know, I just never really considered being a performer um, and trying it out. And um, so, yeah, it was around 2015, 2016. I was really involved in the, the art scene in Philadelphia. I had some solo art shows and I was like, you know, starting to meet some of my goals. Um, but it wasn't like as successful as I had hoped it would be. But 
Um, you know, through those connections in the art scene, I happened to see Mike Quackenbush speak at this event called Ignite Philadelphia, which was kind of similar. Do you know what like TED Talks are? Um, it was very similar to that, but it was just kind of local to Philadelphia. And, you know, he spoke um, and it was like, you know, he spoke about, you know, the magic of professional wrestling. I guess I'm just stuck on the magic, but I think just the art of professional wrestling. And, um, you know, it was really, you know, incredible speech and incredible presentation. And then I ended up getting to meet him later on where he did a smaller version of that for like a smaller audience. And, uh, he invited a handful of us to go to a professional wrestling workshop, the intro to professional wrestling at the uh, Wrestle Factory. And I was just like, no, 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 that's not for me. <laughs> and, um, you know, my other friends were doing it and they just like convinced me to go. And my partner at the time was like, you love wrestling. Like, why not? Just try it. So I was like, okay, okay. So I went, um, I just wanted to like touch the ropes and like, you know, roll around at the ring and just like feel that for a second. And, um, you know, I did better than I thought, and, you know, I could kind of hang with people for the most part, and then, you know, he invited us to do, you know, the Professional Wrestling 101 class, which was like a seven-week class, like, to, like, continue that introduction to professional wrestling, and again, it was, like, the same conversation. I was like, no, 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 and then my friends were like, yes, yes, yes. I was like, okay, and then there's 16 of us that started, and then I think, like, eight of us had managed to, t to go all seven weeks. And then I think only like four of us had passed. Um, and, you know, so I was invited to 201 and then 301. And then all of a sudden I signed up for the core curriculum and I'm doing it full time. And I had kind of, you know, pushed everything else out of my life. And wrestling was the priority now because like, you know, as a Chikara student, you're, you know, working ring crew and you have to train X amount of times a week. And it just became my whole life. And, you know, I don't regret it. It's like the cool, the best decision I've ever made. Um, but it was, it's, I think it's kind of interesting for me because as an artist, I had all these really, really strict goals. Like, you know, I need to have this many Twitter followers by this date or, you know, make this much money or have this many clients or whatever it is. And I never really meant that. But with like wrestling, I have no goals um, or no very specific like smart goals or Sam goals or however you want to call those goals. I don't really have that. I'm just like going for the ride and it's so much more rewarding than, you know, anything else I've ever done. <laughs> if you hadn't um, seen Mike Quackenbush that day, where do you think the art world would have taken you? I don't know. Um, I, I don't know. Um, because you said yourself you were you were not disillusioned but you were very you were a bit on the back foot with it by the time wrestling came along yeah i think you know i didn't achieve the goals that i wanted to like i wanted to work at the cool ad agency and i wanted to have you know like you know a hundred thousand instagram followers and all that and it just was never really coming together i could never really figure it out um and maybe it just really wasn't my true passion you know because it was what I thought I was supposed to be ever since I was a kid. Um, but I guess when it really came to it, like I wasn't really putting in that like maximum effort all the time versus wrestling. Like I am like, it just, it's so natural to me and it's not a fight to go to train two, three times a week. Um, you know, it feel, it's what I want to do and it feels like what I'm kind of meant to do and it feels like what I'm good at. So, um, you know, it is, 
my calling in some way. You were, you were, as you say, pushed along and encouraged and sort of cajoled to do the wrestling training. But was there, what was the point when you started at the Wrestle Factory that you had that moment that you've just described just then, that moment of this is my calling? Can you remember something that happened where you went, yeah, this is for me, this is where I'm going? I think it was some t somewhere around like the 201 class. So like these kind of, these were called tiered classes and they were like seven weeks for two hours a week. Um, just very, very basic. Um, and somewhere around like 201, that second class, um, it just became like, I think it was when I had like other obligations that I would just push off to go train. Um, when I started doing that, and then there was this kind of two month gap between 201 and 301. And Mike kind of invited us to come in on a Saturday if we had time. Um, and I just started doing that. And I remember like one of those classes, it was just like uh, Travis Huckabee needed someone to like roll around with. So, you know, I didn't really know how to chain wrestle or, you know, hold for hold wrestle. Um, but I was just like Travis's like practiced on me for like three hours <laughs> and we still talk about it. Um, but like. I think then it was just like there was nothing else I want to do, um, even though I was just being like stretched and beaten up by Travis, <laughs> um, you know, and it was just kind of like I started just saving my money and it was just kind of like it was just so automatic. And I think that first those first like six months to a year, like I was training as much as possible. You know, I think I had classes, um, you know, I was doing two classes on Monday, two classes on Wednesday. Um, and I think that was all I could really do. And I just remember like there was one class with Ophidian early on. It was like the six o'clock class on Monday for two hours. And it was like beginner. So it was like a lot of workouts, a lot of cardio stuff. And then the second class was with Drew Gulak, who is that times a million. And just as someone who wasn't an athlete before doing like these two really cardio intensive classes by pure like will, I was able to get through them and, and, you know, get in shape uh, as quickly as possible to like, you know, to hang. But we've got to pick another match for oh, your yeah. DVD. So we've got Sasha and Bailey tearing it up mm -hmm. at TakeOver Brooklyn. What's your second match going to be still live? This was really hard. So this is my, my second point um, of what's really important in professional wrestling, and it's to play with reality. So um, especially in this era of wrestling where – Fans all know it's predetermined. They know it's scripted. Um, and they're really interested in, like, kind of the backstage stuff. Um, so I think, you know, it's really important to or it's really interesting when you take real-life stories and put them in this fictional world. And that's something that really only professional wrestling can do, and professional wrestling is the best at. Um, so I think the two I, – I was stuck on two matches here. Um, I was really – really wanted to pick Daniel Bryan – uh, Triple H and then Daniel Bryan uh, winning the title later that night. Um, that whole storyline. Um, but I think the ultimate one would be the Montreal Screwdrop. So that would be Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels. Two very different matches, two very yes. different outcomes and, and feelings about them. You've got, obviously, from Daniel Bryan and Triple H, the, the story of, 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 a, of a guy who, the, the power of the fans and uh, pushed into the main event of WrestleMania and just that, that noise and that adoration was just was palpable. Yes. And then you've got, on the other side, in 97, you've got the, 
the, one of the most infamous moments in modern wrestling history with mm-hmm. uh, when when it doesn't go according to plan of the highest <laughs> order um I mean, let's, let's, I would like to break down both of them before we choose them properly. Uh, with Michaels okay. and, with, sorry, with, with Michaels and Brett, you, um, do you remember when you first saw this and how clued up you were when you saw it? No, I was not clued up at all. But I, um, so to watch those pay per views at the time, I don't know if it was like this for you, but we could get the channel, but it was all scrambled. Um, so it was just the audio of wrestling. And if you have ever listened to wrestling, just commentary, it doesn't tell you. It's not play by play. It's not like watching like, you know, a Formula One race or like a baseball game where you can listen to the radio and understand what's happening. Like in wrestling, you can't really do that because there's telling, you know, they're telling other storylines during a match or things like that. So, but I used to watch every pay-per-view like that, just on the edge of my bed, staring at this scrambled TV, just hoping, you know, the pixels or not the pixels, the whatever TVs are would align so I could see what it was. Um, and of course that never happened, but, um, yeah. And it was just like, I just didn't know what was going on and I didn't know anything about, like, I don't think I had the internet then. So I just didn't know what was happening, but you know, looking back on it, um, and like seeing the countless, you know, TV specials about it. Um, it was just such to me, it's it's the most incredible moment in professional wrestling. It's wrestling at the peak, um, where it had this real-life story of Bret Hart and the contract dispute and when to lose the title and how he wanted to do that, and then making this decision to take that away from him, um, and then everything that came along with that. Like, it just set... It totally changed the course of professional wrestling in my eyes. It, I, to me, it was the end of the kayfabe era. Um, it was kind of when professional wrestling was totally out in the open, um, from my perspective, at least. Um, and I think it's, it's for me, it's so perfect. Like the story is so incredible that I have a hard time believing it wasn't a work. It wasn't scripted. Um, and I know like that's a controversial opinion, I guess, but like. It, it's such a perfect story and it's such just an incredible story that it, I don't know. It's just, it's almost too perfect. Yes. <laughs> Two guys like that, that legit hate each other backstage, find themselves in the heart of Bret Hart's home country. And, and it's sure Michaels is set to win. And yeah, I, I can, I can hear where a lot of conspirators come from on that. Mm-hmm. But is it even a conspiracy? Because it's professional wrestling. It is just, it's scripted. So, like, um, I don't know. Like, I, I like to think it was this plan the whole time. It was kind of the last big kayfabe moment in, in wrestling. You know, I like to think that. It makes me feel good to think that. But, I mean, what really happened, I don't know. We talk um, about shows that blur the lines. And then Daniel mm-hmm. Bryan and Triple H is another one of those where, mm-hmm. as opposed to the performers sort of, playing a part in the the fix this kind of for all intents and purposes this felt like the company kowtowing to the fans yeah i mean do you believe that was the case or do you believe very much very much like with hart and michaels to quote a classic line from the attitude era it was a setup all along (laughs) (laughs) i mean you couldn't set up a rise for daniel bryan better than what they did whether that was the intention Mm. or not like you know, a lot of times, like especially WWE, if someone gets like the push too early, it doesn't feel genuine in the fans turn on them. I think Roman Reigns is a great example of that. 
um, or early like Rocky Maivia. Um, so, you know, they really kind of delayed that with Daniel Bryan. And I think it all started when he lost the title to Sheamus in like two seconds, um, you know, where everyone knows he's this incredible wrestler and deserving of more than what he's getting. And they see like the company like screwing him um, and like, you know, not giving him a chance to have his moment. It just kind of builds all the steam. And I hope I like to think that they knew that. Um, because it's, it's kind of hard to miss. And especially when he's getting these kind of storylines. Like everything he did, he did really well. And I think I just started wrestling again at that moment where it was team hell no. Um, you know, and the, the like their therapist and all that. Um, which was like really funny. But it's just like it was maybe not the most captivating storyline on paper. And to make it like money and to make it gold. Um you know, they knew what they had in him. And, you know, I think it was just a matter of time. But to keep, like, kind of suppressing him, in quotes, um, and to see him kind of surpass that, it made it feel like the fans brought him to life. Um, but, like, they've been a business forever. They know what they're doing. So I think part of it was the intent of it. Um, whether it was going to end there or end a year later or whatever. Not end, but where he was going to get that title. I mean, who knows? But, um I think just it, the fans felt like they were a part of it, and I think that's that's the important thing. I can see why they would feel why why there is that question mark over it because m there is times in history, you know, we go back to '95 with with Diesel, we go back to 2006 with like where John Cena was getting some angry reaction. There's the Roman Reigns mm -hmm. uh, situation before his his almighty heel turn this year, where the the fans have been told this is the guy, and the fans have gone no. No, he's not. Yeah. No, they're not. <laughs> get them away. And so you didn't yeah. get that vibe that there was that intent for WWE to go, here's the guy with Daniel Bryan, mm -hmm. which probably, which, yeah, I can understand would have probably enhanced that desire to make. And because he's so, in comparison to what is perceived to be the guy in the company, so unconventional that mm -hmm. you couldn't, but but so good at everything, it just, it couldn't be denied. However, you can only take one of these onto the desert island, so you've got to choose. Uh, I'll take, I'll let you take Brian and Triple H in WrestleMania, or Michaels and Bret Hart, uh, sorry, Survivor Series 97. I have to go with, with, with Michaels and Bret Hart, because um, it's just the peak of wrestling to me. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive in June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which 
is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Wrestling is is all about sort of the the amazing stories and characters. And for for me, watching from this side of the water, there were no, there was no finer example of great characters than with Chikara. (laughs) <laughs> like just its own multiverse and you became a part of that so i i'm desperate to know the story behind you getting in the ring rolling around with travis huckabee going from there to becoming s- still life with apricots and pears let me introduce to you ursa minor in the night sky ladies and gentlemen Still, with Abraham. The greatest artist in this or any other generation. Blank! In Jakara, like, you don't graduate until there's a position for you on the roster. Like, it's not just you finish training and then you start wrestling. Like, there needs to be a place for you. Um, or there needs to be a character or a storyline or whatever it is. Um, so there were like a handful of us who had all been kind of training at the same point and we're all kind of like ready-ish to, to debut. So there was about, I think there was something like, I don't know, there's a handful of spots and I, everyone else kind of started getting their character and, and I was kind of like, didn't have that yet. Um, so I thought like, oh no, like I'm gonna have to wait like another year um and train i don't know if that's what i'm gonna do and you know maybe i need to go back to art or you know get a job or something else um and then blank had the idea um to do you know to have two pieces of art to take like two students or two wrestlers um and turn them into you know his team and and to create two pieces of human art um so that's kind of how I got thrown in. You know, I kind of felt like I was a little bit left behind. And then, you know, he picked these two kind of like left behind um, wrestlers to, to, you know, give them light. So I remember when I got that message of just like, hey, you're going to debut in two weeks. Um, and this is your name. And you can imagine training for two years thinking about like, what's my character going to be? Well, who am I going to be? What am I going to do? And when you get told it's still life with apricots and pears, like, you know, my heart definitely sank. And I was just like, what is this? I don't want this. Um, and I think like a lot of like Jakara characters have a similar story where you're told like, oh, you're going to be a snake or you're going to be a pumpkin or you're going to be um, a frog, <laughs> whatever it is. You're just like, wait, that's what? How do I do that? Um, so, yeah, so I got this character and then you know, I started wrestling and it was, I didn't really have any details on it. You know, there was, it was loosely based on, um, Batman. Like there was the Batman with, um, Jack Nicholson's Joker. Um, and you know, he had burnt his, um, 
girlfriend at the time, which was, um, oh, I forget what her name was. Um, but she just had, no, not Holly Quinn. It was, sorry, I'm not like totally up on comic world. Um, it was Jerry Hall played her. Um, but anyway, uh, there's like the scene where she kind of had like the Burt, she had a mask on over like her, you know, she got acid thrown in her face or whatever it was. And she kind of like turned and there's just like this quick scene of, of that, of uh, just showing her covering her scars, um, which was like the kind of relation to like blank um, and kind of the inspiration for the blank character. So that was kind of all we really had. And, um, you know, it was definitely like those first matches were just dreadful. <laughs> you know, I didn't know what I was doing. I felt really out of sync and, um, you know, it wasn't kind of until like I started wrestling as a singles wrestler where like Ursa Minor had decided to go on to other things and, you know, Blank had, you know, killed them in a sense, you know, destroyed the art, um, that I really kind of found myself. And that's where I kind of started, you know, um, you know, my internal, like kind of self-discovery of like realizing that I was like transgender and I started transitioning at that time. So, um, it was kind of all these things were like really aligning for me and, you know, this char character kind of helped me do that. Um, and yeah. And then, you know, that next season is when, um, I started feuding with blank. And I think when we were talking about like real life stories coming into wrestling, I think that was a, we were lucky to kind of have that. I think that's kind of what played a role in our storyline because it was, you know, I was originally just spent you know, there to be like second fiddle to blank and to like play a supporting role to them. But all of a sudden, you know, I became really popular <laughs> and, you know, I'm fortunate for that. But, you know, then it became like I was almost more popular than blank. Um, so there was kind of like a real life um, kind of conflict there. Um, which that wasn't the intent, you know, I was like a human chair and like stepped on to walk into the ring and all of a sudden, you know, uh, you know, the fans are really behind me. So, um, I think you can really see that when we wrestled at King of Trios where, um, you know, that wasn't the storyline. That wasn't what it was supposed to be. And I think there was a lot of genuine like anger and, um, well, not anger, but like genuine emotion. It was a genuine release for both of us to have that match. Um, and it felt very, um, symbolic to like destroy the mask, which blank destroyed my mask at the end of the match, which was just kind of like, you know, ending that chapter for me, um, where I could start to control my own look. And that's when I could start designing my own gear and kind of really control my own presentation. Um, so that felt, you know, there's a lot of emotion there. And that was something like, I really thought about like Sasha and Becky in that moment. Um, preparing for that match how to capture that feeling it's appropriate that just now we've talked about how about daniel bryan and and the story there and how the the, the fans made that seem like an organic experience and we're talking now about how it was never the design for you to mm -hmm. to become the guy you know the go on to become the the last winner of the young lions cup like that was <laughs> never on the cards so when did that conversation occur where with with you and and mike and the guys at chikara to say we're gonna roll with this and see where it goes um i think bryce was a big uh proponent of that um I think um, it just kind of happened, you know, um, 
um, you know, I didn't know I was winning the Young Lions Cup until that day. Um, and, um, like, I knew I was supposed to have a really big match with Boomer Hatfield, um, but that's kind of all I knew. Um, and um, I think it just kind of happened. Like, I think, you know, maybe Mike sensed something in me because I really, at that point, I haven't really shown what I could do as a performer. I feel like I was just aimless before that point. And I think it was just kind of this, like, opportunity to really show what I can do and to like give me a bit of confidence and a bit of like an emotional push by, you know, giving me the win. And, you know, I think that pressure and that kind of opportunity really, um, I don't know, it really inspired me and I felt like a lot more, um, not pressure, but, um, I don't know what I'm looking for, but um, responsibility, I guess, to kind of live up to all the previous champions. And, you know, my first big defense was against Carlos Romo at, you know, WrestleMania weekend at the Collective, um, who was an incredible performer, which you probably know. Um, and I was like so intimidated to work with him, but, you know, he was, he was such a dream to wrestle. Um, and, you know, from there, I just kept having these really great opportunities to work with people that I always wanted to work with. And, um, you know, Bryce, uh, was kind of in charge of, we did a bunch of shows at baseball stadiums that summer and Bryce was kind of in charge of that. So he asked who I thought I'd have a good match with and I gave him the list and that's how I got Cabana Man Dan and Bro Keller and Alley Cat. Um, and that kind of list of, of people to, to work with. So Bryce was definitely a huge person behind that. And Sydney Bacabella was a huge help, um, in the character, um, Orange Cassidy, who I got to train with a lot at that time, um, was a huge help with like kind of shaping the character and obviously Blank and Mike uh, kind of played a role too. When did you find out about Chikara closing? Um, same time everyone else did. Um, you know, those kind of stories and the allegations um, were things I didn't know for the most part. That was the first I was hearing about them. So, yeah, obviously that went around immediately. And, um, you know, we had some Zoom calls to kind of go over things and to see, um, you know, what had happened and, and the story behind all that stuff. And I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And, you know, Hollow Wicked was, you know, I really credit, like, I had a lot of trainers at the factory, but my two primary ones were Hollow Wicked and Orange Cassidy. So, um, you know, Orange was already long gone by then, but, you know, Hollow Wicked was kind of the mainstay in Shakara. And, and when he decided to resign, um, you know, I kind of would follow him. So that's when I made the decision to resign as well. Um, and then Shakara closed down, I think, a couple of days later when, you know, the bulk of us had, had already left. Do you think we'll ever see the likes of a promotion like Shakara again? Because it's a very unique concept of a, of, a, of a company. The more we talk about it and the more I realize that is that just not in, in itself that it was like a multiverse in terms of characters, but also behind the scenes in terms of how it was run and how and how it operated. Do you think we'll ever see a company like that again? It's hard to say, like, you know, because Shakara, I feel like, inspired a lot of companies. Um, so there's a lot of what you see on the, on the independent wrestling scene today, which are you can see the inspiration to Chikara, whether that's the funny names for events or, you know, the characters or the storylines, um, 
you know, having these these kind of more comedy characters that can wrestle are really good. Um, things like that. You see sprinkles of that everywhere. But as far as like exactly what Chikara was, where it was a wrestling school with a promotion, um, with these really, really in-depth storylines, like, I don't know. I don't think there'll ever be someone like, like Quackenbush who can like, you know, do that, who can, you know, have these insane stories and these multi-level stories. Um, I haven't seen anything close to that. Um, you know, I think it was something special and it's hard to see something that's exactly like that pop up again. We're just coming off of um, Effie's Big Gay Brunch from <laughs> the GCW Weekender and there's been so much love uh, for you and what you do on online for it. I want to read this. Um, they don't know I've taken it, but it's from Maria Fanning from Voices of Wrestling. Okay. And they wrote, for one of the first times in a long while, I didn't have to shunt my trans identity to the side when enjoying wrestling. I was watching two trans wrestlers in the ring putting on a f- amazing show. <laughs> and that was uh, that was for, for your match over the weekend. And mm-hmm. you, and it's, do you feel like there's a lot more eyes on you now as a result of uh, Effie's Big Gay Brunch and the GCW uh, Collective Weekend? Yeah, um, I think so. Um, definitely have a lot more, you know, that was kind of definitely the biggest match of my career thus far. Um, so definitely like the amount of, I was shocked at what my phone looked like after that match. Um, and then, you know, getting like my Google or Google alerts off the charts, um, you know, so I do feel that in a sense, but you know, that match was just something that was really, really personal to me and performing at gay brunch was something that was really personal to me. Um, and I think that kind of, that's still where I'm at with that moment, um, where it was just something that I needed to like pay tribute to Sheik and to have that moment with her. Um, that's kind of what I, I take away from. And just being able to be, you know, on an all queer show and to showcase what we can do as queer performers. Um, you know, I think a lot of people see me as like a comedy wrestler. I'm this big, larger than life character. and um, to see like people are always shocked that I know how to wrestle like that's like a really common <laughs> thing where like fans come up and we're just like I didn't know you knew how to wrestle it's like hello <laughs> like do you know who trained me like <laughs> do you know where I'm from like of course I know how to wrestle um so that's always funny like that's always <laughs> always a funny bit that comes out of my matches but um yeah I think just um I lost my train of thought, but <laughs> it was just, it was, it was something really personal to me. That's that's that was it. How does it feel uh, reading a comment like Maria Fanning's from Voices of Wrestling? Overwhelmed, you know, it, <laughs> um, it, it makes me emotional. Like I definitely like, I get, and, and I get a lot of that. And that doesn't mean it's any less special. Like it's all really, really special. And it, 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 it changed what my goals were. I know I talked about not having goals, but I, I do have some, or it changed my motivation or it changed what I'm trying to do with this. Like, you know, where, when I first started, I started having like kind of personal aspirations of wanting to wrestle this person or, or wanting to work at this place. But, um, you know, having these moments with fans and kind of having that responsibility changed what I want out of being a performer. Like, um, you know, having these shows or being able to perform at places that are safe places for queer folks and trans folks 
and to be someone that can help inspire someone, um, that's way more important than anything else that I do. And, um, I'm not going to lie. It was like really hard at first. Cause I was still like, you know, I just started transitioning. Um, when like still life came out, like the performer, like me, <laughs> um, had also just come out. Like those happened in parallel, you know, I'm transitioning the same time still life is transitioning. So I'm still learning and I still like need people in my own life to look up to and to ask for advice and to ask for help. And then, you know, I'm getting fans who are sending me direct messages, you know, asking for advice or just wanting to share their stories or coming out to me or whatever it may be. It was really overwhelming at first, but, um, now it's something, um, it's so special to me and it's almost every single, every single show I go to or that I get to perform on, you know, I have a fan that comes up to me at the merch table to share their story. And it's, you know, I get so touched by that. And it's, it's like really, um, it's really important. And it's, it's kind of why I do what I do now. There'll be people listening today who may be in a, in a similar situation that you were during your decision to transition um uh-huh. inc- incidentally was there a moment for you where you decided this is what i want to do this is what i need to do and i'm now ready to tell people um yeah i think it was something it was obviously always in the back of my mind my whole life but um you know it, i just never felt ready for it. I never felt confident enough. I never felt like I would be accepted. And I was always just really scared to start transitioning. And then, um, or I was just in denial of it. Um, and I think being a wrestler and to perform a still life gave me confidence that I've never had before. Um, and gave me this opportunity to, this opportunity to express myself, uh, in a way I never really had before. So, um, that helped, but then, you know, it was, um, so it was beginning of 2009 when I started, I made my decision that I was going to, um, transition. And then a few weeks later, um, like I had no idea, I didn't know what was going to happen with me as a wrestler, but then a few weeks later, um, there was a video of dark Sheik at hood slam and she came out to the crowd after a match and, you know, came out to them and, and said that she had started hormone replacement therapy and didn't know what it meant. Um, or not that she didn't know what it meant, but was just like ready for that ride. It was just that, that next step in her life. And that inspired me so much. And that I finally, I felt like such a sense of peace that like, well, someone else is doing this. And if she can do this, then I can do this. And, you know, there's so much love to her, um, in that moment. And, you know, after that, um, that I felt confident that I could do this. And then, you know, I was lucky enough to get invited out to Hood Slam a couple of months later and, you know, got to become really close friends with her and, um, you know, have since got to tell her about how much that moment meant to me when she came out and how that inspired me and helped me. Um, and that's why, you know, I told Effie, like, this is the match that I want. And, you know, I told him why and that's, he made it happen. And, you know, I'm really thankful for that opportunity and um, I'm glad it was a good match if people liked it, but it's just like, as I said before, it was a really personal thing um, for me to have that moment with her. For those who are listening today 
who may be going on a about to embark on a, on a similar journey that you're on now is there any advice that you can offer um i don't know there's so many different things but it's just like it's it's for me it's so worth it like um you know it's really really hard it's the hardest thing i've ever done but like it's the most rewarding thing i've ever done i feel it's so it's such a sense of peace to be myself and to be working on becoming myself that it's it's so worth it but i think it's just important to like make sure you have surround yourself with community and and with friends who really care about you and are there for you in those dark times when you need to be pulled up and um you know there's never like a perfect time to do it you just have to just start and go at your own pace there's no rush to this you know um I'm definitely someone who transitions like I, I'm doing it very slowly and at my own pace and I'm in no rush um, and just kind of doing what feels comfortable. And well, I guess I have to force myself to be a little uncomfortable, but like, you know, just kind of going at my own pace. So, you know, it's not a race. We're going to before we get into um, a bit of stuff that you're up to this week and mm -hmm. your final match. I'd like to spring this on people. As, oh, no. Yes. Consider I yourself well sprung <laughs> um, as well as three wrestling matches. Uh, you're also allowed to take onto the island with you. It's good to get people's initial reaction to these. Um, a movie, an album and a luxury item. So just a, a, by that, I mean like something uh, that means something to you that can be a creature comfort or it can be something uh, useful for the island, but that's up to you. But we'll get to that in a second. But if I would say to you, you can take a movie with you, what movie would you take? One of my favorite movies is Snatch. Um, so I think I would watch that, especially when I was in college, I watched that all the time. So that's the first one that comes to mind. I don't know if I think more about it, I would change it. But I think that one was just so... It's so layered with stories, and it's really funny, but it's also a lot of action, and um, it's just uh, a lot of fun quotes, um, which I'm not going to do now. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I think that at top of mind, that's what I have to go with right now. But. Good, sure, good shout. How about an album? What would you take as far as an album goes? Uh, London Calling. I think The Clash is London Calling is my favorite album, so I would pick that one. I think just the diversity of genre within it and just, you know, I loved, uh, you know, I love punk rock. So just having an album that kind of pushes the boundaries of that and changes the genre, but still has the authenticity of punk rock and, you know, really important meaning to the songs. Um, top of mind, it would be London Calling. When did you first uh, hear that album by The Clash in particular? I feel like it's one of those albums that's always just there. Um, you know, like Smells Like Teen Spirit. Uh, that song's just kind of always there, you know. Um, but I don't know. Maybe it was kind of when I was in, like, high school and got really into punk rock and then started wanting to trace back the roots of, like, you know, I listened to New Found Glory, but they were inspired by Bad Religion, who was inspired by, um, you know, The Clash, I guess, is, is that next step. So I'm um, just kind of looking back on the history of punk rock. And, and just discovering that and just knowing that like this is the beginning of it and you know I, a lot of like older music doesn't really trans like i appreciate it but i don't like love it or I, it doesn't like it doesn't become like on repeat but um that album for sure did and how about a luxury item then 
What would you define a luxury item? So I'll give you some of the luxury items that people have taken in the past. So um, when we had Quack on the show, he took uh, one of his suits, one of his fancy suits. Big fan of those. On an island? I know, right? <laughs> Go figure. Go figure. Um, Effie is taking cranberry, if I remember correctly. Uh, oh. So that's happening. Um, James Storm is bringing toilet paper because he's concerned about hygiene in that department. Um, Nick Aldis is bringing a jag, I guess, to drive around the island. If it, it'd be an item that can mean something to you, it can be a functional item if you want. It's completely your shout. Well, I guess I, I, I thought it was just like luxury items, like you know, my expensive watch or something like that. <laughs> but um, you know, a nice pair of diamond earrings. Um, no, I would definitely take if it's if I can take my pet. Then yeah, obviously my dog Kevin. Um, you know, I adopted him right before quarantine, so. He's kind of how I got through it, and he has more personality than most people, so definitely my dog, Kevin. How long have you had Kevin? Um, just about a year. I'm coming up on his adoption day uh, in November, so I'm going to cook him a big steak for his adoption day. And um, Do you celebrate yeah. the adoption day like a, like a birthday? Um, well, this will be the first one, but yeah, I think so. Like, Definitely like cook him you know, a nice meal. <laughs> and, um, you know, I actually just had a, I was at uh, Officer Magnum's birthday party um, with Solo and Willow. So, um, yeah, I think maybe I'll do something similar, have the have them over for uh, for Kevin's adoption day. We're doing, um, we're doing an adoption day party for our cat on oh. Saturday, Halloween. That's the day that a year ago oh, is the yeah. day that, that Pablo arrived to us. Um, so... <laughs> Uh, tips for a good adoption day party what would you recommend i know it's a cat uh, it's slightly different but whether or not there's anything that crosses the the breed crosses the species timeline well they're gonna have fun regardless so i think for officer magnum's birthday we made sure to have a couple cases of white claw and then we made <laughs> empanadas um or solo made empanadas so um maybe we'll do the same thing for <laughs> kevin <laughs> that sounds amazing and steak though <laughs> steak and, and some sort of dog based beer a... yeah I, I don't know what that'd be I think just water then I don't know <laughs> I'm sure you can get dog beer I'm sure you can is that a thing? it's gotta be a thing it's it's, it's 2020 yeah, they, they, dog beer hang on I'm googling dog beer yeah dog beer's oh. a thing beer for dogs there's one There's one available uh, at fetch.co.uk called bottom sniffer so <laughs> that's an idea this is bottom sniffers all round amazing <laughs> Boo, it's me. We'll be back to Still Life with Apricots and Pears in just a moment. Want to say thank you to some wonderful people we work with here at Cultaholic, including our friends at Audible. You can get yourself a free wrestling book on us right now by going to cultaholic.com forward slash Audible. From there, sign up to Audible for 30 days. Get yourself a free wrestling book on us. 
And if you don't like Audible and you choose to cancel, you can keep the audiobook. It's good, that, isn't it? We've also teamed up with Quidco. If you want some cash back when you buy online in the UK, we are working with them, who in turn will sort you out with cash back when you buy from hundreds of online retailers like eBay and Argos and Amazon. Go to cultaholic.com forward slash cashback right now to sign up with Quidco. And in doing so, you'll get a free fiver on us paid into your bank account or via your PayPal. Coldaholic.com forward slash cashback. And we are the main event of WrestleCrate next month. You'll be getting a Coldaholic exclusive t-shirt in your WrestleCrate for November. And if you sign up using the code Coldaholic, you get an autograph bundle in your first mystery box. Coldaholic is the code you need at WrestleCrate.co.uk. Talk to us about the, this weekend, or this Thursday, rather, it should be Camp Leapfrog on IWTV. Yeah. What's what's happening? So Camp Leapfrog, it's going to be our Halloween special. Um, there's going to be lots of crazy shenanigans going down at Camp Leapfrog. Um, so it'll be on IWTV at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on Facebook, there'll be a match, like the I'm in the Facebook match, um, which I'm really excited for. Um, so definitely check, you know, look for those IWTV updates, um, on Thursday. I don't know what time it's going to go on, but, um, tune into the full show at 8 p.m. I believe. Let me just double check. It is 8 p.m. on IWTV this Thursday, the 29th. So just, have you done shows with Camp Frog before? Yes. Yeah. I was on the, um, the first show where I got to wrestle, uh, cheeseburger who is now my trainer. I train with the, at the worldwide dojo with cheeseburger and Sumi Sakai. So, um, yeah, it was just kind of this, um, this idea that Chris, Le- Chris Levin had and Sam Letourneau is helping out. Um, and we're just, you know, going to summer camp and there's a wrestling ring there and there's shenanigans. <laughs> now looking at the, the, the roster for, for the show, for things that go bump in the ring on Thursday, mm-hmm. and uh, obviously yourself and there's Blank and there's Warwolf Creed. It seems a bit like a, like a that kind of Chikara style level of fun with just big characters just bringing yeah. the noise. And I love it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a lot of us who kind of, you know, we're kind of looking for somewhere like a new home um and a new place like we're all very close like all of us who train together and wrestle together all very close friends so um it's just kind of a natural fit that this would be um the next place to go and you know i'm lucky that i have that and also like starting to work at beyond wrestling a lot more um you know me and blank are a team again we've kind of mended those fences and um you know i'm lucky to have those two places to kind of fill this this void in my life. Did you do summer camp when you were younger? No, um, I think I did one for like two weeks. Um, but you know, my parents, you know, my mom, um, was home during the summer. So I didn't need, I didn't need like extra camp. And I was very much like an indoor kid, like I said before. So I was happy playing video games (laughs) or, you know, doing art. (laughs) You get a chance to experience it uh, on Thursday, which is tomorrow, a time of uh, broadcast of this. So remind us once again where people can go if they want to watch Camp Leapfrog, things that go bump in the ring. It is on IWTV at 8 p.m. and then also on Facebook Live or whatever that works uh, sometime during the day uh, will be my match. Third and final match 
for your desert island. Uh, so we've had, we've decided on Brett versus Sean. The Montreal Screwjob from Survivor Series 97. Mm -hmm. Bailey and Sasha Banks from TakeOver Brooklyn. What's your third and final match going to be? So this one's hard because it's not, I don't know if it's exactly a match, but it would be, so my third point is important to wrestling. So we're creating emotion is number one. We're playing with reality is number two. And number three would be expanding the art form of professional wrestling. So pushing the boundaries of what professional wrestling can be. And whether that's, you know, that means in the performance itself or expanding upon the bubble of professional wrestling. And that means like getting more mainstream culture um, or just different types of art forms or different worlds, bringing that in. So for me, that would be Andy Kaufman. And I guess like if it had to be a match, it'd be a match with, with Jerry Lawler. And look at Lawler go to work on him. He picks Andy up. He's gonna suplex him. He suplexed him down, and now he rolls him over for the pile drive. Nope, a body slam. You fans who started booing and hissing me tonight, don't try that again. Don't try that again. I am a star, and next time I come here, I want you all to get down on your knees and bow down to me. And if I pass you by, kiss my feet. On, yeah, okay. You bunch of slimy right. hicks from Memphis, Tennessee. You hicks, go and plow the Okay. Plow the fields and the farms, you little hicks. Just keep running you your jaw, and you'll have worse than you got right now. That moment for me is, I think, an incredibly important moment in professional wrestling and something I'm really drawn to. Um, I remember we have a channel called Comedy Central here, and there was like a special about Andy Kaufman and a huge part of his life was professional wrestling. So I remember seeing that as a kid and it just like, you know, it's just really inspired by that because he had the mediums of, of television and wrestling and he was constantly trying to change it and do something new and um, kind of ex just expand it, which I think is, is just really important to me and something that really inspires me. Can you, could you ever see something like, like an Andy Kaufman experience occurring again in wrestling in 2020? Because that felt very real and it blurred the lines. Yes. Um, sure. I think, especially nowadays where people think, I don't know, they, it, it, they think it's obvious what's real and what's fake. Um, and, um, I think you could obviously do that in wrestling. Um, yeah. <laughs> still, there is still something, there is still something that can come from that. I think so. Yeah. And I mean, it's something that I'm interested in trying and, um, you know, I hope I get opportunities to kind of like play with that a little bit more, but yeah, I think that's, that's important. And I think this was another one where like, when I was thinking about these matches, I was just kind of like wanted to really it was things that i still remember even though it's been years and years since i've seen them like all of these matches that i talked about i watched sasha and bailey recently but um all of these things like i can't remember the last time i saw them but i still reference them they still like live in my head um so this is just another one of just like you know i remember there's where andy coffin's like banging on the tv i think it was either a documentary it might have been in the movie too where like he wanted it to look like the TV was out of sync uh, or whatever it was with old TVs. Um, and he wanted viewers to bang on the TV um, to fix it. So I think just that kind of like mindset and that wanting that interaction with your viewer um, 
that just really sticks to me. And that's something that like is always kind of in the back of my head of um, when I'm making art or performing or whatever it may be. Like, I think there's something really interesting there to have that interaction and to have that confusion and to, to play with what people's expectations are and what they think is real or what they think is the performance or a mistake or whatever it may be. Um, I think it's so cool. It's uh, it's it's like magic, as we said earlier on. Mm-hmm. It's once you know how it works, you either you, know, you either don't like it or you want to work with it. You want to manipulate it. You want to have fun with it and and find the sides with it all. Which it sounds like is 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 what your plan is. Yeah, I think so. And especially with like, there's so many expectations of what wrestling is, and there's so many things that people think they know about professional wrestling. And I think there's that space of what people. Th- are confident in like what an audience is confident in knowing um, that they think is true and they think is genuine. That's where there's interesting things to play with, Um, you know, and that's, what's really interesting about magic, like Penn and Teller. Like I think they do bits where they like give the trick away, but then they do another whole trick there. It doesn't really tell you the full story. So um, that's for me, I think that's the interesting thing of professional wrestling. And that's kind of the, the, um, I don't know, that's that's the place to, to look at, um, especially with wrestling has this huge history of like where it was always it, it treated. It was so serious about maintaining the artifice that it was real um, and to hide those things. That's a huge part of our culture as wrestlers. Um, and I think there's ways to bring that back and interesting ways to play with that. Um, yeah. And if people want to follow your journey in bringing that back, where can they find out all about you? I am at Apricots Pears, not Apricots Spears, Apricots Pears. <laughs> Brittany's lesser known sister. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Everyone's like, you should do a spear. And I'm like, that's, I'm not going to like, you know, trash any moves. But the spear is one of my least favorite moves. Um, or I think it's just too overdone. But whatever. I'm not going to trash it. It's 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 fine. Um but yeah, so it's at Apricots Pears on Twitter, on Instagram, and follow me on Pinterest. I'm really big into Pinterest, and no one follows me there. So Apricots Pears on all of them. What was the last thing you put on your Pinterest uh, on your Pinterest wall? Um, I was looking for. I'm getting a new set of gear made, so I was just pinning some pictures um, to send to uh, Closet Champion, who designs my gear. Um, so just sent some new. Um, specifically new mask designs. So uh, my hair is quite long now, so I need something to have it out. Um, so just like different ideas of, of how we can incorporate um, the visor, which is kind of tricky for a mask, and which means like both eyes are, it's just one open cut for both eyes. Um, so how we can pull that off with also like the open top. So um, that was the latest thing on my Pinterest. And then something like graphic design bits, like different you know, uh, esoteric, like typography things. And, um, I'm really into screen printing too. So different screen prints. I don't think anybody's ever given their Pinterest account and I'm, and I'm sad of that. <laughs> I want more people from now on. If you're going to come on this show, you need a Pinterest. Yeah. That's the I've rule. I've Pinterest since the beginning. <laughs> you're a Pinterest Pinter- OG over I there. I was a beta tester for <laughs> Pinterest. No, no lie. I was, um, I was really into like, I worked in, in a tech company, um, at that time. So I got to a chance to beta test Pinterest. No way. Um, yeah. <laughs> and originally it was more like a shopping based app, which I guess it still kind of is, but like, 
the big thing was like, how do you get users to put the price of the items on there? Um, which I think has since kind of gone away and now it's just kind of like a mess, uh, what like the original links are, but, um, yeah, so I got to like submit feedback on it. Um, so when it's, when it, when still life was doing that, it was the top of the game, but yeah. now it's not, it's slipped back a bit, but you'll always be the OG of Pinterest as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I'll have that in my like my uh, announcer notes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, do it. Do it. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for fifty to eighty percent less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at fifty dollars, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. For all the wrestling headlines in just 10 minutes, search Cultaholic Wrestling News on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. 